Hello and welcome, friends, family, and enemies alike, to episode 6 of Reading Cadence. My name is Phil Olson, and this week we will continue our epic reading of chapter 2 of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, entitled The Pool of Tears. Oh boy, this is gonna be good. Chapter 2 The Pool of Tears. "'Curiouser and curiouser,' cried Alice. She was so surprised that for the moment she quite forgot how to speak good English. "'Now I'm opening out like the largest telescope that ever was. "'Goodbye, feet.' For when she looked down at her feet, they seemed to be almost out of sight. They were getting so far off. "'Oh, my poor little feet. "'I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now, dears.' I'm sure I shan't be able. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. You must manage the best way you can. But I must be kind to them, thought Alice. Or perhaps they won't walk the way I want to go. Let me see. Oh, I'll give them a new pair of boots every Christmas. And she went on planning to herself how she could manage it. They must go by carrier, she thought, and how funny it'll seem sending presents to one own's feet. (laughs) And how odd the directions will look. Alice's right foot, Esquire, hearth rug, near the fender, with Alice's love. (laughs) Oh dear, what nonsense I'm talking. Just at this moment, Her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, she was now rather more than nine feet high. And she at once took up the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice. It was as much as she could do lying down on one side to look through into the garden with one eye. But to get through was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry again. (laughs) You ought to be ashamed of yourself, (laughs) said Alice. A great girl like you. (laughs) She might well say this. To go on crying in this way. (laughs) Stop this moment, I tell you. But she went on all the same, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all around her, about four inches deep, and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and she hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. It was the right rabbit, returning splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came. Oh, the Duchess! The Duchess! Oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Alice felt so desperate that she was ready to ask help of anyone. So, when the rabbit came near her, she began in a low, timid voice. If you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropped the white kid gloves and the fan, 
and scurried away into the darkness as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan in gloves, and, as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed in the night. Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. And she began thinking over all the children she knew that were of the same age as herself, to see if she could have been changed for any of them. I'm sure I'm not Ada, she said, for her hair goes in such long ringlets, and mine doesn't go in ringlets at all. And I'm sure I can't be a Mabel, for I know all sorts of things, and she, oh, she knows such a very little. Besides, she's she, and I'm I, and oh dear, how puzzling it all is. Huh. I'll try if I know all the things I used to know. Let me see, uh, oh, four times five is twelve, and four times six is thirteen, and four times seven is, oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. However, the multiplication table doesn't signify. Let's try geography. Uh, London is the capital of Paris, and... Paris is the capital of Rome, and Rome is... Oh, no, that's all wrong. I'm certain I must have been changed from Mabel. I'll try and say, how, th how doth the little... And she crossed her hands on her lap, as if she were saying lessons, and began to repeat it. But her voice sounded hoarse and strange, and the words did not come the same as they used to do. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws and welcomes little fishes in with gently smiling jaws. Oh, I'm sure those are not the right words, said poor Alice, and her eyes filled with tears again as she went on. <gasps> I must be Mabel after all, and I shall have to go and live in that pokey little house and have next to no toys to play with <laughs> and oh, ever so many lessons to learn. <laughs> no, I've made up my mind about it. If I'm Mabel, I'll stay down here. It'll be no use there putting their heads down and saying, come up again, dear. I shall only look up and say, Who am I then? Tell me that first. And then if I like being that person, I'll come up. If not, I'll stay down here till I'm somebody else. Huh. Oh, oh, dear. <laughs> Cried Alice with a sudden burst of tears. I do wish they would put their heads down. <laughs> I'm so very tired of being all alone here. <laughs> As she said this, she looked down at her hands, 
and was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves while she was talking. How can I have done that? She thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself by it and found that, as nearly as she could guess, she was now about two feet high and was going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding, and she dropped it hastily, just in time to save herself from shrinking away altogether. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden, and she ran with all speed back to the little door. But alas, the little door was shut again, and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. And things are worse than ever before, thought poor ch the poor child, for I never was so small as this before. Never! And I declare it's too bad that it is. As she said these words, her foot slipped, and in another moment, splash! She was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea was that she had somehow fallen into the sea. And in that case, I can go back by railway, she said to herself. Alice had been to the seaside once in her life, and had come to the general conclusion that, wherever you go to on the English coast, you find a number of bathing machines in the sea, some children digging in the sand with wooden spades, then a row of lodging houses, and behind them, a railway station. However, she soon made out that she was in the pool of tears which she had wept when she was nine feet high. Thus concludes part one of chapter two. Well, apparently her carnivorous consumption of the cake in the previous chapter did something to her body. It did indeed grow her taller, as she suspected. But my goodness! This girl has become a nine-foot-tall giant at this point. And Carol records that this girl has cried gallons of tears that approximate to four inches deep full of tears. Now, I looked up how, how many gallons of tears the average human cries in their lifetime. And this is assuming that you're a healthy crier well after the age of five years old. The average human cries 17.17 gallons of water in their lifetime. Alice has just cried, I would argue, three quarters of the average human crying tank. I be dear goodness she must be dehydrated right now. So what kind of resources does Carol pre present to her after this apparent dehydration of her body? Uh, some Gatorade? Uh, a massive jug of water? No. He provides her with some kid white gloves 
and a fan to cool herself off. Well, gee, Lewis, that was nice of you. You could have at least provided this girl with a little bit of electrolytes. But no, the author allows Alice to suffer. So, barring all of those logical inaccuracies, let's just say, let's just take a little glimpse into her friendship life. So, now we've learned that uh, she has some very interesting friends who warn her about poisonous substances and what to drink and what not to drink. I don't know what kind of lifestyle they grew up in, but I can guarantee you right now, I wasn't taught to, you know, check for poison for people poisoning me at all points in my life. Like, that just wasn't a part of my childhood, but apparently it was in hers. That all being said, her choice of friends is even more profound, for she has two particular friends that I imagine she's quite close with, for these are the first few friends that she thinks of. We've got Ada and Mabel. Ada, we don't know much about her intelligence. Um, We just know a little bit about her hair. But Mabel, I mean, dehydrated Alice turns into an absolute savage. But as she's trying to convince herself that she's not Mabel, she incorrectly recites her multiplication tables and incorrectly recounts her geography lessons. But here's something that I do want to bring to your attention because I found, found it very interesting, was this poem that she recites. She calls it, How Doth the Little Crocodile?, And I was looking it up, and Carol actually made up that poem himself. Very clever of him. But what she was actually referencing was a poem by Isaac Watts, a real man, who wrote a poem called Against Idleness and Mischief. And basically what it does is it contrasts a busy bee to the idleness of a young child's hands and how idleness makes you a worker and laborer for the devil. Um, Just trying to scare kids into, you know, remaining to work hard when that sort of thing could be used. But instead, how Alice recounts it and as Lewis Carroll records it, she she recalls a poem about a crocodile. And if she's remembering this off the cuff in a dehydrated state, uh... Give that woman a microphone, everyone. I mean, she just has laid out two perfectly written stanzas that rhyme excellently. I mean, I couldn't have written them beautifully hydrated. And Alice, I mean, for all that she is, enter that lady in a slam poetry contest. My goodness, this is incredible. Now, despite all of this that has just happened, we leave our young damsel, having inadvertently shrunk herself down to two feet tall. But now we leave her in a rather harrowing predicament. She goes ahead to proceed forward in her walking and slips into her own tears. Oof. So she goes from a normal-sized child down to a little smaller than a watermelon, shoots up to a nine-foot-tall Goliath-like figure, and then proceeds to shrink back down 
to, I would say, a slightly oversized pumpkin, wouldn't you? And now she is caught up in her own tears. Is it possible for one to survive a swim in their own tears? Tune in next week for me to break down the composition of your tears, and we will find out exactly if it is possible. Thank you so much for listening. This is episode six of Reading Cadence. My name is Phil Olson, and I would love it if you would, you know, drop a comment in the podcast app you're listening to. Uh, Switch on a five-star review for me if you wouldn't be so kind. Subscribe to the podcast so you can get the podcast when it is released. And if you've got any questions, you can email me at vocalreadingcadence at gmail.com. That's vocalreadingcadence at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for listening. And as they say in show business, that's all he wrote.